The Sacred Changemakers podcast is supported by Coaches Business School, helping the world's most caring coaches build a purpose-driven and profitable business that makes a meaningful impact in our world. Check out their unique frameworks and methods to help you transform and grow your business. Now is the time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs. You can do well in business and do good, and together we can make a meaningful difference. Find out more at coachesbusinessschool.com. Hey there, and welcome back to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. Today, I have a very special guest for you. By virtue of the fact this is someone whose work has had a profound impact on me. And so I was truly honored when he agreed to be interviewed. And despite a few technical issues, this conversation is well worth your time listening. Our guest on the podcast today is Michael Nagler, PhD. He is Professor Emeritus of Classics and Comparative Literature at UC Berkeley, where he founded the Peace and Conflict Studies Program and taught upper division courses on nonviolence, meditation, and a seminar on the meaning of life. He's the president of the Meta Center for Nonviolence and author of The Search for a Nonviolent Future, The Nonviolence Handbook, and the award-winning film and book, The Third Harmony, Nonviolence and the New Story of Human Nature. Today, our conversation is titled Hope and Hard Work, The Promise and the Challenge of Nonviolence, which of course speaks to the polarity embraced by this work. Michael speaks candidly about his passion for nonviolence and what it means for him to embody this within his life. You'll hear him talk about how he and his colleagues are committed to raising consciousness about the greatest force mankind has been endowed with, which are actually the words of Gandhi, and exploring its many uses throughout the world today. How we can all embrace the perspective of nonviolence despite living in an extremely violent world. So listen in as Michael shares with us how nonviolent methods are impacting the citizens of Iran, how it's being used in Ukraine, and why this is so important today. This conversation inspired such hope in me to hear how this valuable methodology is making an impact in places where it's really needed those places at war where our fellow humans are exposed to extreme levels of violence. And, you know, you could say the worst of human nature. It's really heartwarming to know that nonviolence is making a difference. So without further ado, let me introduce you to my new friend, Michael Nagler. Hey, Michael, welcome to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. Thank you so much, Jane. I am uh, really very pleased and honored to be here. You know, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. You have Mm -hmm. such a body of work, and I've really enjoyed reading your book that I can't wait to dig into the details with you. And I know our audience will just love this Mm -hmm. conversation. But, you know, our audience have just heard your professional bio. And I'd love to kind of take you behind the scenes of that a little bit and get you just to explain (laughs) in your own words, you know, a little bit about that real life human that lies behind the bio. (laughs) Who's he? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it reminds me of uh, Spinoza, who was wandering around in a park in Germany one night, and uh, the policeman shined a lantern on his face and said, who are you? And he said, (laughs) I wish I knew. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so I, I am a person who's trying to find out who I am. You know, I have a, a very longstanding uh, uh, meditation practice, which is, which is supposed to help. And I've um, been working on that for decades now, and it does seem to be working to some extent. And I do feel that I have found my, you know, what we call it in English, my vocation, we'd call in Sanskrit. My Swadharma, the path that I'm supposed to follow. And that, that feels very good to feel secure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very happy here in the Meta office. It's, it's a perfect setting for us. Uh, my work partner, Stephanie, in the next room is, uh, you know, much younger than me, consequently, more with it. <laughs> and very creative and, and always getting us new opportunities. And on the really personal side, allow me to share with you. Oh, look. Oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> that, that, that's my great granddaughter. She, oh. uh, yeah, she was a little younger in that picture, but she just turned one. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So it makes me think you have a very personal reason for doing the work you do. Oh boy. Even if I didn't, uh, you know, I have two children and two grandchildren and a great grandchild who's an absolute angel. Uh, I, I think by this time, you know, in fact, long before I had a family, I was extremely passionate about justice and particularly about peace. It just uh, it possibly possibly, you know, being a Jewish person and having the Holocaust in the background of my mind may have had something to do with it. But uh, I, I think it probably would have been that way anyway, because I, I just frankly, I hate violence. <laughs> right. Right. And I guess that's what brought you to this passionate work that you have today. But I just wonder, how did you get started, mm -hmm. like in the early days? Because it is something that feels a little bit yeah. like the antithesis of kind of how we're culturally kind mm -hmm. of socialized in this world. So I just wondered, yeah. how did you begin? Yeah. Well, the antithesis was coming after me. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was getting to be, uh, I was getting to be draft age, and uh, felt that I really needed to. Uh, I, I was not going to go and pick up a gun and kill people, no matter what. Mm. And I remember I had my first uh, draft interview uh, here when I reached California with a friend, a guy who was helping draft. Dodgers or draft these called Bob Pickus. And usually he had to make a case for you. He had to pad and stretch and exaggerate to make it sound as if you had a religious reason. Because right. those were the, that was the only legitimate reason in the U.S. at that time. So I remember Bob started interviewing me. And after a short time, he said, holy smokes, you're the real thing. Because <laughs> I re uh, my my uh, resistance was not so much political, though I was very angry about uh, injustice, but it was really spiritual. It, it was a sense of intimate connectedness with the whole of humanity, and how the utter violation of that that's caused by 
uh, harming another and violence is uh, it, it, it is just dead wrong. <laughs> and right. we've got to do everything that we can to, to outgrow it. Right, right. So then, uh, of course, the, the next big uh, step in the process was in 1966. When I was in Berkeley by that time. And I, I had some personal problems that motivated me to try to find a meditation teacher, which was not unusual in Berkeley in the 1960s. <laughs> in fact, it was kind of weird not to have a spiritual <laughs> practice of some kind. People hardly admitted it. Um, but yeah, I was extremely lucky, if, you know, or, or maybe I just had some very good karma because I... I stumbled into uh, a really effective meditation practice. Mm. In fact, my, te my teacher's picture is about a yard further down the desk, so I'm not sure I could reach it without <laughs> pulling out my earplugs. <laughs> but but <laughs> no, he has he built he built a very effective meditation practice and a community based on that practice. And people can find it very easily by going to bmcm.org, which right. just stands for Blue Mountain Center of Meditation.org. It, it, it's all there. Oh, lovely. Just the name sounds, you know, I can just feel myself exhale yeah. <laughs> as you say the name. Yeah. So for, for, for yeah. like some of our listeners might not realize that the, the link or the bridge between meditation and nonviolence. So could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, in fact, I put it a little bit differently, uh, Jane. I say that nonviolence is the bridge between meditation and social action. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you want to do something to help the world. The world is not going to cooperate. It gets kind of nasty out there. And uh, if, you, if you want to act without that nastiness affecting you, which is uh, tricky, which is, is difficult to avoid, you must be grounded in your own uh, sense of unity, in your own sense of compassion. And you can't get that grounding, I think, any other way than uh, meditation. So then when you want to act out, to go from the other end of the spectrum, when you want to act out what you have come up with in meditation, nonviolence is the only way. Mm. Right. In fact, that's that's how. In fact, how just about how it worked for Gandhi, because it, for him it was a search for truth, and he discovered that he could not find truth without nonviolence. Mm. So, uh, on a much larger scale, that that's what I'm talking mm. about here. And it seems to me this idea of unity and interconnectedness is is kind of a core driver for this for me because mm -hmm. you know you said in your book that nonviolence works with unity in diversity can you explain yeah. a little bit what you mean by that <laughs> uh boy if i can't explain it by this time <laughs> I, I i better go into retirement yeah uh i i, I came to the formula jane that makes us uh, come to to cl clarity for me and that is uh, we need absolute unity at the core and 
complete respect for diversity at the surface. Mm. So, you know, we have our individual approaches and I have to recognize that your approach may be slightly different from mine and and yet be valid. Right. <laughs> you know, that's kind of hard to say. Differences don't mean division. Uh, right. And yet, you know, we're both human beings which have the same aspiration. You can go even deeper and say, even if we didn't have that aspiration, Let's say I were a Republican, which will, you know, is absolutely unthinkable. Uh, still, you know, I I would be in that commitment because I thought that was the way to human well-being. Mm. And so, at the core, we are manifestations of divine consciousness, mm. and that consciousness is one and unchanging. And in meditation, of course, we are trying to grope our way towards that consciousness, to have right. it be our consciousness. Yeah. Right. And it's so interesting because consciousness is a word that's kind of bandied around a lot today. Like, yeah. you know, there's a yep. lot of people talk about not just leadership, but conscious leadership. We don't just have mm. capitalism. We have conscious capitalism, all that kind <laughs> of stuff. And I, I just wonder, are we losing yeah. the meaning of what it really means? Yeah, I'm. I'm afraid we are, uh, Jane. I, I, I have, you know, I've, I've been somewhat familiar with people who are applying the terms in the ways that you just described, and I think it's just an enhanced way of saying, uh, do it successfully, do it right. Right. So it's it, it's very remote from what you and I are talking about now. Mm. That that is, you know, as I, I like to say, you know. The universe has three domains of reality, matter, energy, and consciousness. Mm. And each of us is a microcosm of that hierarchy. And in us, it shows up as body, mind, and spirit. Mm. And the critical thing is that as we go up that hierarchy, the divisions between us, the barriers between us, subside. So when we become really, if we were to become completely established in spirit or consciousness, the way Mahatma Gandhi was and a spiritual Illuminati mm -hmm. are, then there'd be no barrier between us at all. That uh, mm -hmm. I, I would empathize with you to the, to the nth degree. You know, your happiness would be my happiness. And then I would dedicate myself to bringing about the happiness of others. Mm. And as you're I speaking, I wouldn't be able to, to that, stop myself from doing that. Yeah, and as you're speaking to that, I, you know, just at some deep level internally, I get the sense that that's exactly what the world needs right now. I could even say oh, that. My gosh. You know, when I look out into the world today, it's almost like we've lost the soul, the spirituality of life. And yeah. we really are embedded in this physical, material world, almost to the nth degree. <laughs> like, and, I, and I'm sorry yeah. to say that I think yeah. most people are not aware of, of what spirituality has to offer to them for their own peace of mind, for their own, yeah. you know, because it's yeah. invisible, isn't it? So, yeah. 
like how how does your work on nonviolence yeah. mm-hmm. deal with that issue that you know people might have a sense of something but not really a, a greater mm-hmm. understanding of where you're coming from well well, one of the things that's characteristic of Meta's approach to nonviolence is our rooted insistence that mm-hmm. nonviolence is the core of our nature, and consequently, nonviolence is our destiny. And you can prove that negatively. Here's one of the books that's right on my desk. It's called And Then Your Soul is Gone. It's a description of moral injury, which is a devastating illness or response that is taking the lives of 20 U.S. military veterans every day who are committing suicide because of the recognition of what they have done. Mm. And uh, there was a quote on the internet recently from a a Russian soldier who was committing suicide because he said, I'd rather die in my own homeland than spill the blood of somebody else. Yeah. So we have built these systems which violate us at the deepest level. And nonviolence is a way to get up out of that swamp and realize who we truly are and adjust all of our institutions and all of our systems accordingly. So one one very simple example of that is in the field of criminal justice. Gandhi said we either shouldn't use we either shouldn't use the word criminal or apply it to everybody. Right. <laughs> Take your choice. But, <laughs> but we have, uh, you know, I, I know that in the UK as well as in the US, we have now you know, fairly well developed institutions called restorative justice. Mm. So that instead of uh, punishing people who have harmed, we sit them down at the table with us as fellow human beings ask them to explain why they did it and and make restitution for what they have done. And uh, so in that one area, we we have implemented the principle of human unity. And and, uh, this could be applied in many other areas as well. And of course, in terms of uh, armed conflict, we have an institution known as uh, peace intervention or third party intervention, or sometimes these days it's called um, uh, it's called something else. I don't really like that much. So let's just call it <laughs> let's just let's just call it nonviolent intervention. Where you're know, right now, as we speak in the Ukraine, there are groups of people from all around the world, UK, US, everywhere who uh, have taken some training, one hopes, more training than a lot of those poor Russian guys have. Mm. And um, right now they're concentrating on that nuclear reactor at Zaporizhia and uh, attempting to intervene, interpose themselves as a third party. Yes, sometimes called third party nonviolent intervention Mm. uh, to bring, to break people out of the mindset of of polarization right you know 
Russian on one side, Ukrainian on the other side. Suddenly there's a third party in the middle. What the heck are, are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it it breaks the spell. And actually, uh, I don't know if you've seen our film. Mm. Jay, we have a 45-minute, oh, you should see it. We have a 45-minute documentary called uh, The Third Harmony, right. uh, like the, the title of the book. And one of the interviewees is a very good friend of mine, Ken Buddigan, uh, who's a Franciscan peacemaker. And he was in an uh, episode one time where some policeman was you know, trying to break his wrist to get him to stand up and leave a, a demonstration. And Ken just sort of looked up at him very sweetly and said, you don't have to do that. <laughs> you don't have to break my wrist. And I said, oh, my gosh, (laughs) you know, I won't really have to. So so he stopped. And so they're walking along together to the paddy wagon. And and the guy said to him, "Uh, thank you so much. You know, I didn't want to break your wrist, but I have these orders, you know, and you broke the spell. So that's another little little example that in nonviolence, we break the spell of separateness. Mm, yeah. Uh, in in a violent interaction, which is depressingly normal, mm. the, the underlying structure, the dynamic of the relationship is me against you. Mm. You know, you have to suffer for me to thrive. And in the nonviolent uh, interaction, the dynamic is it's you and me against the problem against everything Mm. that creates a sense of separation between us. And therefore, uh, when uh, a conflict takes a nonviolent trajectory and resolves itself in that way, it's a learning experience Mm. for all the parties involved. You know, we're, we're put on this planet in this condition to learn to overcome our separateness from one another and a conflict is a way of making that is an acute laboratory for that learning process which is spiritual growth yeah so a person a person who has a spiritual practice will be very good at nonviolence, and a person who's good at nonviolence will eventually realize that there's a spiritual component going on here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that. And just listening to you speak there, it, it of, honestly sounds so obvious what you're saying. Um, <laughs> it really does. Like, you yeah. know, the, the two of us against the problem instead of playing attack and yeah. defend between ourselves. So it yeah. just makes so much common sense. But I guess there's not a lot of common sense in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there, there is not. But I, I have always, uh, when I am feeling blue and feeling that things are not going to succeed, uh, I remind myself that there's an inherent truth here mm. that everybody wants to hear. You know, nobody wants to hear that we're separate material beings doomed to comp- competition right. for scarce resources. Nobody really wants that. Even though it goes on and on and on. People want to be reminded of the inner core of their nature. Mm. And so, uh, you know, nonviolence is the positive form of what I was illustrating with that book. You know, when we when we hurt another, we are hurting ourselves. Mm. 
Yes. Conversely, when we help another, we're helping ourselves. Yeah. And there's a lot of science on that right now, <laughs> as if we needed it. You know, I don't need right. <laughs> I don't need a database and experiment to tell me what I'm feeling when I'm kind right. to someone or when someone's kind to me. But, you know, some of us do. Yeah. Now, I, at some point, Jane, I wanted to share with you a, an example of how how this can go, that how we've experienced it recently uh, at the Meta Center. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we have an Iranian American friend who invited us to do two two hour uh, seminars on Zoom uh, with people in Iran. And so we did that on on two successive Thursdays. And uh, Layla told us that there were going to be uh, upwards of 800 or so women on this call. Wow. But I noticed that there was a lot of men on the call. In fact, the, <laughs> the women were not not getting much of a chance to speak. So. <laughs> it's just your typical situation. Yeah? <laughs> uh, so at the end, I said, you know, Leila, uh, was it 800 women who were in the audience? And, and she said, Michael, there were 28,000 people listening to those broadcasts. Oh, wow. Yeah. My gosh, that shows there's a real hunger and an appetite. Uh, exactly. For what you're exactly. Doing. That that was what yeah, the very word that Layla used and, yeah. and you know that that is obviously true. So so this is the this is the encouraging thing that despite the massive almost unavoidable propaganda that we're separate material beings have to compete, et cetera, et cetera that uh, the truth appeals mm. immediately and, and it, it, it is very compelling. Yeah. So even though we're very small, a friend of ours once described Meta Center as a small but mighty organization. <laughs> the, the mightiness, the power comes from that hunger. Yeah. Uh, that people want this simple message. Yeah. So our title for today's discussion is Hope and Hard Work, The Promise and the Challenge yeah. of Nonviolence, right? Now, I know that when I've yeah. mentioned nonviolence to other people, people seem to sometimes think it's an idealistic notion. But that title dispels all of that for me because it says this isn't just idealism because yeah, there's hard work in here yeah. too. So can you tell us a little bit about what yeah. that title is kind of pointing to? Happy to. Yeah, in fact, one of the people, uh, we, we had quite a few comments from our Iranian friends who were on those calls, and oh, about 90% of them were extremely grateful, extremely enthusiastic, because in their situation, to yeah. have a, a, a glimmer of hope that nonviolence can be powerful. But we had some people who were very angry with us, because they were saying, you're asking us to do nothing while this regime is doing all these terrible things. So first and foremost, what what we have to recognize is that it's just a tremendous lack of understanding, a, a vacuum of basic understanding of what nonviolence is. Mm. It's something that no human being has not experienced, but they didn't have a name for it. Mm. So that hope arises when you are enabled to recognize it 
in your own life and in your own experiences. And then the hard work comes in when you somehow get the notion that this is what you naturally are and you would like to be that way always, not just when you're in favorable circumstances, but when you're challenged. Mm. And so then the hard work can be described very simply really as the work of converting the negative drives that are in our consciousness into their positive component. Mm. The hope is that this can be done. That uh, you know, anger, for example, is not a primary emotion. It is compassion standing on its head. It, right. As to to quote uh, Saint Augustine, it's turned around. It's tur- turned one hundred and eighty degrees. So you know, the hope is that that people who have done this are not anomalies. They're not from Mars. Uh, I'm just reading something in Gandhi this morning where he said, I don't have two heads on my shoulders, you know. (laughs) I I am a human being just like you. (laughs) So, yeah, the hope is uh, recognizing that uh, not only negatively we can't afford to violate the connectedness among us, but we can afford to grow in awareness of that connectedness. So then, you know, how do we do this? Every time a negative emotion comes up, we have to, we need a technique to convert Mm -hmm. it into its positive counterpart. And that's, you know, meditation is hard work because we are, if if we're meditating for half an hour, we're doing this 30 times. (laughs) A distraction will come up, a negative thought will come up and we'll pull ourselves back to whatever you're using. In our case, we're, uh, we're using a, an inspirational passage. We, we do what's called passage meditation. Mm. Lovely. So, you know, you also mentioned- Oh, excuse me, yeah. excuse me, Jane. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do with this, with this time lag, but thank you for, <laughs> for gracefully <laughs> accepting this. <laughs> you know, that's one dimension and that's probably the most important dimension of the work. But there's another dimension, which is in a way not so challenging, and that is to simply learn about nonviolence. Right. People know, people know nothing about it, nothing. But there's a theory behind it, there's a long history, and there's uh, applications that can be made. There are existing institutions implementing it. And so uh, some of that work is, is not uh, you know, it's just intellectual learning. Right. And really, that's where the meta center comes in. I mean, we do do meditations here. But uh, our main work is teaching people how this thing works, why it makes sense, and where it has happened, and then what we can do to make it part of our own life and our own society. Mm, thank you. Now, I know you mentioned the name of the film and your book, The Third Harmony. And yeah. I wondered if you could yeah. just walk us through the three harmonies and explain them to our <laughs> audience, because it seems quite yeah. a different kind of title to the to the Meta Center for Nonviolence yeah. in a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 we have the Meta Center has a third harmony project. Right. And that involves the book and the film. 
and also a board game, which unfortunately it's in the other room, but we have a board game called Cosmic Peace Force uh, that Stephanie uh, developed. It's just, it's huge fun. But yeah, the, the Buddha said that in order to be full human beings, to be self-realized, we need to establish three harmonies. Harmony with the outer world, that was very prescient of him, you know, harmony with the environment, harmony with our fellow human beings, and harmony within ourselves. Mm. And that in practice, now I, I'm saying this, in practice, it goes in reverse order, mm. that you can only establish peace in the world around us to the extent that we have established it in ourselves. Mm. So residual conflicts in our own personality will be a limiting factor of how well we can establish nonviolence in the circles around us. And that, that in turn will be a limiting factor on how we can establish it in the world. Mm. So yeah. that that's the third harmony, inner peace. And that makes perfect sense to me, it does. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. if I just speak to my own experience for a moment, you know, I, I also have had a meditation practice for many years now, mm -hmm. and I find the inner harmony kind of, yeah, I can find that, right? I can live mm -hmm. in that. I can embody that. Mm -hmm. And then I go out into the world or I turn on the media. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, boy. and that's and oh, that's where I just sometimes feel bombarded to the extent that I've actually had yeah. to eliminate a lot of yeah. it from my life now because it was just too troublesome to my own like yeah. energy field in a way. And I just wonder, yeah. is it about eliminating it or is it about me learning to, I don't know, integrate or be in heart? Like, I don't know how to be in yeah. harmony with, with what feels like such a destructive yeah. force, really. Yeah. Well, uh, I think the good news is we don't have to choose. Uh, it's mm. both. Uh, right. We, uh, I've recommended for, for many, many years that the first step and the uh, sine qua non, you know, the essential step, if you want to be nonviolent to any degree, is to cut the nexus between yourself and particularly the mass media. Mm. They will do nothing but agitate you, make you feel alienated. There'll just be tremendous alienation there. And, and I, you know, I'm not entirely sure to this day why they feel they have to do that, but it is very clear. And of course, I, I live in an ashram. Uh, we don't have a television set there. Mm -hmm. I never had one in my home. Um, when I left my uh, family home to go to college, uh, for, which was a long time ago, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have never lived in a place that had a television set. Wow. Uh, right. I spend five, I've spent five minutes skimming the news in the morning, just, you know, to feel that I'm not completely out of it. Yeah. So that's the negative part. We step out of the prevailing culture. Mm. And that takes that takes guts. Mm. You know, pe people are going to look upon you as something weird. Right. And we, we will try not to look upon them as the weird ones. So that's the negative part. But then positively, uh, in addition to having a spiritual practice, we just want to fill our minds mm. with good news. And there are good news uh, uh, websites now that do this. I just finished 
looking at Karuna News before I came on with you, Jane. Karuna being the Sanskrit for compassion. Mm. Uh, and uh, just, you know, the things that people are doing around the world. You know, 10,000 women in India joined hands to protect a threatened species of crane mm. called the Hargila crane, these huge, magnificent birds. These things are going on all the time. We're not going to learn about them from the newspaper. Right. Uh, they will be buried. They will be buried in uh, the, the, the Internet. But you right. have to know where to look for them. Right. So, uh, yeah, we deliberately take charge of our mind and we say, we're not going to let you, the world, tell me, Jane Har Warlow, what to think. <laughs> uh, because that, make, that makes a difference, you know. As the Buddha yeah. said, the very first line of the very first chapter of the Dhammapada, all that we are is the result of what we have thought. Mm. So when we take charge of what we're going to think and uh, use discrimination and uh, choose the positive, uh, we're taking charge of our own lives at a very fundamental level. Mm. This is the ultimate freedom. Yes, and I've heard you describe it as kind of writing the new story of humanity in a way. And, you know, when I look out into yes. the world today, you know, I do see that like the old narrative, we're kind of beginning to wake up from that. It's like that story mm. is kind of coming to an end and we yeah. do need a new story to kind of take mm -hmm. us into the future generations. Yeah. So how does your work kind of align with that? Because I know that's yeah. a key motivation for you, Michael. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, it is, Jane. And well, we supply the sources of the story and where you can go to get the story uh, in various forms. So if you're scientifically oriented, if you're oriented to the arts or media or what have you, there will be windows onto this new story. And as I point out in the film, it is kind of a ridiculous title because it is the oldest story, uh, older, older than the human race, but uh, it's new to us. So in that sense, it's a new story, namely that we are body, mind and spirit, primarily spirit, as a matter of fact, and that humanity is one. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, uh, all life is one and all existence, really is one and we have to work very hard at the wrong media to give ourselves the impression that we're separate mm -hmm. you know even little babies like my great granddaughter uh, she's aware of the unity of life in in such remarkable ways i mean she just there's three dogs in her house so she's perfectly comfortable <laughs> with animals <laughs> And I have at home a, a little white dish with a feather and a piece of bark and some grass, which she gave me oh. when she was visiting <laughs> us in the weekend. She picked out these things and handed them to me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Love. so when you see a child that is, that is um, you know, still in that primal innocence that Wordsworth talks about uh, you see what a human being is capable of and uh, really it's a question of preserving that mm -hmm. the hope is the recognition that it can be suppressed but it 
it cannot be eliminated. Yeah. No matter what you do, that that spirit of unity, that love, that uh, you know, sense of meaning and connectedness will will never be completely eliminated. It's always there, even in what seems to be the most deranged, the most alienated person. Mm-hmm. There are ways of of reaching it. I, I a very good friend of mine uh, who's passed away now was. Um, founded nonviolent communication you know, everyone knows about marshall rosenberg yes and he had this experience once he was he was working in a prison and he was asked okay you know you have this technique go and work with this guy and they put him into a closed room with someone who had murdered seven people and <laughs> The, the guy was paying absolutely no attention to Marshall, like like he wasn't there. And time is going by, and Marshall figures I've got to do something. So uh, he said, uh, <clears throat> "So say, uh, I understand you've killed seven people." <laughs> and the guy said, "Yeah." <laughs> and Marshall said, uh, "What do I have to do not to be number eight?" <laughs> <laughs> God was, was quite startled. And he said, well, don't call me a liar and don't call me an SOB. So Marshall whips out his notebook and writes in it, no liar, no SOB. Got it. Then they had a perfectly good conversation. <laughs> so, so, you know, even he had the faith mm. that somewhere in that human being was a normal human being who could be reached. Now, the way to reach him was weird in the extreme, <laughs> but you have, you have to honor that. Mm. You have mm. to say, okay, this person is not like me. He has an opening and I am the one who has to discover what that opening is. He's not going to offer it. So that's the responsibility of the nonviolent person is to discover what it is in the opponent that is a legitimate need that can be reached. Because they're not going to tell you. Yeah. And as you explain that story, to me, what I heard was, you know, Marshall had the ability there to go beyond the labels, beyond the identity of murderer, right? Because, of course, that puts somebody in a, I'll say a stereotypical, like, whatever, stance. And he's kind of gone beneath the surface there and really kind of connected to the human that is in yeah. in there. Which, very, very, mm. very good point, Jane. That's really the first step in any feeling of alienation yeah. that you have with another person is you'll find that they have imposed some label on them yeah. and you're not seeing the real person underneath that label. And, uh, well, again, I hope I don't sound too much like a broken record. Uh <laughs> That is how meditation comes in, because right. you begin to recognize in yourself what's deeply human mm. in yourself, beyond the temporary thoughts, beyond the desires, the needs, the emotions. Underneath all of that perturbation, there, there is uh, an enduring unity, an unchanging mm. consciousness. And what the great thing about that is when you, when you begin to have glimpses of 
you don't need to be convinced that it's in other people. Mm. You recognize it as something human that you're discovering, not something that pertains to Michael Nagler or, or right. whomever. Right. Um, yeah. And I just had an insight when you you were just explaining that there, which, and I think it's the mm. first time this has ever kind of come up for me, is this idea that, so mm. I'm going to say we're part of the problem, the systems that, that yeah. we kind of put people into and the way that we kind of manage and deal with like criminals or whatever, you know, I can yeah. see how it contributes to the oh, violence yeah. and the continued violence because, yeah. you know, if somebody's going to label you in such a way, then why not live yeah. up to the label, really? Yeah. You know, in a way. Yeah. So I can yeah. kind of see how there's a complexity in this that isn't just mm -hmm. an individual blame, if you right. like, potentially. Right. Yeah, and I know that's probably... <laughs> Uh -huh. We could debate that for hours, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you won't get any you won't get any debate from me on that. I think it's absolutely clear, absolutely true. And there's as we, as I was saying earlier, what's different now is uh, well, we have a, a wonderful database mm -hmm. uh, of nonviolent action, which you know used to be just a few anecdotes, but now at Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania. There's what's called the Global Nonviolent Action Database, GNAD, which has upwards of a thousand episodes of nonviolence that have been practiced in the world. And these are only the ones that were recorded. You know, we have nonviolent episodes of a kind that go back to ancient Israel in 39 AD and so forth. Uh, so we have the information. And now what's really new is we have the science. Uh, there's been this discovery that's called mirror neurons. Mm -hmm. There are certain neurons in the brain dedicated to replicating the idea and the emotion in another person. Yeah. So when I see your smiling face, Jane, it evokes uh, right. happiness in me. Now I can, you know, overcome that and pretend to be a grump, but uh, <laughs> but. But it, it's good to know that this is not just some abstract thing that we think, oh, I'm going to try oh, yeah. to be Mr. Nice Guy. It's happening in my brain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, conversely, when I can overcome my hostility, my fear toward another person, uh, I am actually evoking the, the love and connectedness in that other person. So that nonviolence is deeply rooted in our central nervous system. Yeah. Lovely. Of course, then then the work comes in. Then we, then we have to learn right. how to <laughs> implement it. <laughs> yeah. And I love that you've tied it to action in that way, because mm -hmm. I think it's very important. I mean, one of the things we talk about a lot at Sacred Changemakers is, you know, how do we embody you know, the, the changes yeah. that we want to see in the world, because just that yeah. presencing, like you said there, we now know the mirror neurons are there and just our very presence is impacting. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the questions yeah. we often ask of each other is, you know, is the impact you're having, is it positive or is it negative? Because you're always having an impact with your presence. Mm -hmm. So what is that? Mm -hmm. Now, before we end, I'm just noticing the time, Michael. Before we end, I mm -hmm. would love to hear in your own words, like what is your vision for the future? What is this work in service of 
for you? What's the world you long for? Mm. Well, that's a really heartwarming thing to think about because uh, I've been thinking this morning about where the world seems to be going, right. <laughs> which is in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, so the, the world that I envision is a world uh, that's based on nonviolence in whatever form you want to call it, uh, love, compassion, fairness, justice, all of these different ways that it's implemented, and that there is an acculturation of this that preserves that core in in the infant and uh, as they grow up, and then builds institutions based on it. Mm. So, for example, we have a criminal justice practice, which is based on the model of the separate human being that has to be punished and corrected by other human beings. And then restorative justice has just come along, although it existed in indigenous communities for thousands of years where they wouldn't have survived. That's based on an entirely different model of a human being. So this is the aspect that we're trying to elevate in, in, in the Meta Center, that if we could understand who we really are and build institutions that enable us to actuate, to self-realize who we are, instead of institutions that try to do damage control <laughs> because we became something that we shouldn't have been, um, uh, you know, we will build that out from that core of humane understanding, which I like to say, you know, is body, mind, spirit, but primarily spirit, consciousness. Uh, it's actually a lot of creative fun to think about how you would go through every institution in our world and rebuild it along nonviolent lines. You know, you have wisps of this happening in, in um, architecture. It is certainly starting to happen in the business world. Th thank you, Jane, and everything <laughs> that you do. And it, it is slowly percolating into the world of education, where it, it really needs to be much more highly developed. But we have inroads in every sector of life. And what I envision is that these inroads will be recognized for what they are and enhanced and developed and become the norm mm. in every yeah. in every aspect of life. Yeah. yeah. Then we'll have, you know, an ecologically sustainable, humanly uh, integrated and interdependent and mutually supporting world. Love Thank that. you for letting me think about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, just one final question as I bring this to an end. If there's something that you'd wished we talked about today or a few words of wisdom maybe that you want to leave for our audience, what might it be? I, you know, I think the word of wisdom has already been uttered. Uh, <laughs> uh, you led me right into it. Jane, it, it's, you know, to recognize that we are deeply interconnected. In fact, that the final ultimate con ultimate interpretation, we are one and inseparable. And we have the capacity to build a world 
that acknowledges that unity, build it around us in our immediate circle. And then the structure of the universe is such, hold on, I have a card here somewhere that says the universe is bent toward justice. Of course, I can't find it right now. <laughs> uh, the structure of this nature is such, and the structure of the universe is such that it will uh, support us in building out that enhancement into the kind of world that we want. Now, uh, I guess as a final, final word, I'd, I'd like to just, uh, you know, I hate to use this term, but advertise <laughs> our own resources. Yes, I've please mentioned do. the global, non, yeah, global nonviolent action database, but uh, metacenter.org has, uh, is, I must say, rather rich resources for exploring nonviolence on all of these levels, partly in recently in the Third Harmony Project, but uh, more broadly than that. And we have a radio show called you know, The Nonviolence Report every other week. It comes out of a local radio station down here. We have several books. You, you were mentioning the book, Jane, that you've been reading, and I didn't actually mm. know which one you're reading. Oh, right. I'm reading Third, Third Harmony. Harmony. Yes, Third Harmony. You're right. Okay, good. <laughs> but we also we also have a little pamphlet called uh, uh, Nonviolent Action or something like that. Um, forgetting at the moment what it's called. Hold on one second. Okay, and while you're doing that, Michael, I'll just let everybody oh. know that um, all of the uh, resources that Michael's not, talking about are in not, the show notes for you, I'm so not, you can just go below. The nonviolence handbook. Okay, great, great. Thank you, Michael. It's, uh, called, it's called the, the nonviolence handbook. Brilliant, thank you. And all of those links are in the show notes below. So if you'd like to go there and take a look at Michael's work, you can yeah. find everything from the Meta Center website right the way through to the book and the film and the uh, the board game as well. So um, please go ahead and take a look for yourself. Michael, thank you so much. I have completely enjoyed our conversation today. I knew I would, but I yeah. know our listeners will have also <laughs> felt so inspired yeah. and have learned so much much for you and hopefully this will be the genesis of their own kind of discovery into nonviolence, so that we can really spread the word and help you in that yeah. way okay guys well that is our, that is my hope also yes okay thank that you. is my hope also and we look forward to being in touch with you thank you bye-bye michael Okay, guys, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I want to remind you again that all the resources and the links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. And a big thank you to the members of the Soul Business Academy, who are our podcast sponsors and our extended community, who are helping us make a global impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're looking for more soul in your life and business, if you have a sense that you have a calling, maybe you're here to make a bigger impact or simply connect with others on your change-making journey. If our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. Again, you can find out more at sacredchangemakers.com. But for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. 
Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.